Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I am Sarah Germain Lilly. And I'm Ty Kersley. This week, we'll cover suicide and guns. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and suicide makes up for the majority of gun deaths in America. We had a similar show over three years ago, but a lot has changed since then, so we wanted to revisit some of those discussions we had about suicide and how we talk about suicide in our country. We will also talk about the high-profile gun suicide of Naomi Judd back in April and how her daughter Ashley Judd has come out about her family's grief and the need to discuss mental illness and that her mother used a firearm to end her life. And now, our in memoriam. On April 30th of this year, country superstar Naomi Judd took her life by using a firearm. She was 76 years old. She and her daughter were about to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame the very next day. The real cause of her death, of course, was her lifelong struggles with mental illness, such as anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder. Judd was always very public about her mental health issues. A statement by the family read, we have always shared openly both the joys of being family as well as its sorrows too. One part of our story is that our matriarch was dogged by an unfair foe. Of course, that unfair foe was mental illness, but she is not alone. 60% of deaths from firearms in the United States are suicides. Many of our celebrity friends mourn her passing. There are just two, Crystal Gale. I am deeply saddened by the loss of my friend and fellow Kentuckian, Naomi Judd. Naomi was always so special to be with. She accomplished so much, and she will be missed and loved forever. Andy Cohen, I love Naomi Judd. Among her many talents, she was just as much fun, a great storyteller, and a wonderful spirit. Naomi Judd's daughter, Ashley, said, I look back on my childhood, and I realize I grew up with a mom who had an undiagnosed and untreated mental illness. And there are different behavioral expressions, interactions, flights of fancy, choices that she made that I understand were an expression of the disease. And I understand that and know that she was in pain and can today understand that she was absolutely doing the best she could. And if she could have done it differently, she would have. Naomi Judd, we remember you. Thank you, Shep. Juanan for contributing our In Memoriam today. A beautiful person decides to kill themselves and they use a gun. Right, and, and we'll get into the discussion a little bit more about uh, the circumstances, but it really was within moments of, you know, her being in her own home, home talking to her daughter and, and actually having someone visit in just the, in that split instant, you know, uh, lost control of, of her thoughts. We can only, uh, guess at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk more about all of these things, but, um, one of the things that we want to be sure and emphasize is that the way a person dies does not define their life. 
and that we don't define a person as being a suicide. Uh, Naomi Judd took her own life. Naomi Judd had enormous accomplishments and she overcame so many struggles in her life. That's how we want to remember her. We also want to go over some suicide facts in a way that is easier for you to discuss them. The numbers of gun suicide uh, is, is actually larger than any other kind of suicide. And it's also the majority of gun deaths in our country. Gun suicide claims the lives of nearly 24,000 people in America every year. The U.S. gun suicide rate is nearly 12 times that of other high-income countries. So if we want to think of Sweden and Norway as being countries where suicide rate is high, 12 times. And a lot of that has to do with the access to firearms. Absolutely. Six out of every 10 gun deaths in the U.S. are suicides. Having access to a firearm triples one's risk of death by suicide. And I don't think that just, I mean, when you look at that number, it says three times. So it triples one's risk. Um, having access, not that you're a gun owner, it means that you are in, you have access, meaning that somewhere a gun is not secured where you are or where someone you love is. Yeah. The rate of firearm suicide in rural areas is more than double the rate in urban areas. And on our last episode, um, we reported that the Every Town for Gun Safety Support Fund had a new report detailing the rise of people dying by gun suicide in cities. So the rate of people who died by gun suicide increased 11% over the past decade and now make up an average of over four in 10 city gun deaths. That's nearly 20 people in cities die by gun suicide every day in our country. Yeah. And you see, we don't hear about these because families just shut down. No one wants to talk about a suicide. And uh, yeah, at least of all the people who are most affected by it. And their lives are, you know, it's the in initial trauma they're going through, but then the grief. Um, one of the things we'll talk about later is, you know, the bargaining. Uh, there's so much with suicide where people are like, well, what could I have done? Well, if I was there, if I had called, if, um, you know, and uh, that's just, it's just really not good for your mental state to even consider that you could have stopped someone. So instead, we're going to go make sure you know all of the signs and some other facts that Sonny brought to us a couple of years ago. And I wanted to reuse this clip because it really breaks down from a medical perspective and somebody who's a gun violence prevention activist as we are on linking the two with all of the studies that she knows, but also from some experiences in her past. Hi, my name is Sunny Moon and I am a member of Gays Against Guns. I'm also a retired physician who used to practice internal medicine and I trained in New Orleans where there's a lot of gun violence. What I'd like to talk to you about today are some facts about suicide by gun. And, and more particularly, I wanna make sure that everybody understands that suicide by guns is a public health crisis and it's preventable. So let's start with some facts. The last time the CDC reported on gun-related suicides was in 2017. 
total gun fatalities were close to 40,000, and about 60% are actually suicides. So suicides make up the vast majority of gun deaths in the United States. But it's not equally distributed. The tragedy of gun violence and suicide is not spread randomly. Study after study have shown that states and areas where there's high gun ownership have much higher rates of gun-related suicide. And the interesting part of this is that suicide rates from other methods is not any different from these states. So there isn't something different in terms of people being more depressed. What's different are the people who are successful in killing themselves with guns. Now, a question you might ask is, is there something different about gun owners? Are gun owners more prone to suicide? And again, we have studies that have shown that gun owners are not any more prone to mental illness and they're not any more prone to suicide. And in fact, one study found that gun owners actually reported less suicidal ideation than non-gun owners. However, if they have the thought of committing suicide, they have access to a lethal method and so they're successful. How lethal are guns? Guns are the most lethal method. It's close to 90%. One of the most common myths that I want to address is why do we even bother learning about suicide or talking about suicide in healthcare? Because it's inevitable. If somebody's going to kill themselves, they're just going to do it. If we take away their gun, they're going to find some other way of committing suicide. And that is one of the biggest fallacies that we really, really need to make sure that we address. How do we know that impulsivity is a factor? A lot of times people will tell you after they make an attempt, how long did you think about suicide before you went ahead and did it? And it turns out that um, when you ask people how long they thought about suicide and then actually attempted, 24% said that they had thought about it for less than five minutes, 48% said less than 20 minutes, and 70% said less than an hour. So if somebody is doing something that is a fleeting impulsive act, having a very lethal method makes that fleeting impulse become a permanent, terrible conclusion to something that could have been addressed. Now, the final part of this, why am I talking about this? We have to address it as a public health crisis, and I've just laid out the facts as to how we can make interventions. We need reasonable laws to address a public health issue. And so I want to talk about some of these laws that actually make a difference. And one law that I want to talk about in particular, it's commonly called a red flag law, or ERPO, or Extreme Risk Protective Order. And ever since the tragic Parkland shooting, more and more states have passed red flag laws. And that means that if somebody is deemed to be a danger to others or to themselves, there's a legal process in place to remove the guns from that person. And studies have already shown in states that have had ERPO laws, there is a reduction in gun-related suicides. And other laws, such as universal background checks, open carry laws, decrease the accessibility. So just by decreasing the floodgates and there's less access, we can reduce suicide. There you go. Preventable. And it's the lethality of guns that really leads to this overwhelming number of deaths um, in America. Especially since, you know, Sunny pointed out just the high number of people who had only contemplated suicide for just an hour, 70% of survivors of a suicide attempt had only been thinking about it for an hour before they attempted. Uh, we've all had a bad hour of our lives where you just don't want to be, you can't handle your own um, thoughts or the pressure or guilt, failure, whatever is going on in your mind or pain. So many people are going through pain, uh, physical and emotional pain. 
Uh, but the access to that firearm uh, doesn't give them a second chance. Yeah. And escape is another thing. Um, you know, people just want to escape from this, from this pain or from this overwhelmingly desperate situation. And they, they just can't figure out a way out. And um, okay, so just end it. Yeah. Right. Some of the solutions that um, that Sunny brought up, we'll talk about the um, the ERPO, the extreme risk protection orders. Uh, we have 19 states that have these uh, currently. In most states, law enforcement officers and family or household members can request the ERPO. This ensures that only those who are very close to the person or are trained to respond to such risks can file an order for the temporary removal of guns. I want to flash back almost to my Be a Man uh, episode. If you purchase a weapon, why can't you make that decision at that time? The ERPO comes in after you've purchased a gun. So it's almost as if the family and the, and the, and the police and doctors and, and judges and everybody has to come together after uh, you're already a gun owner and they're concerned. Whereas before you buy a gun, why don't you also sign something saying that, you know, if I am at risk to myself or others, by all means, I would, I would have someone remove this from my house. Uh, that kind of mentality just hasn't broken through yet because there's still something about ownership of that weapon um, and the security that they have with it. But if you've bought that weapon for, you know, security and for self-defense, but there's just one bad hour of your life and it's not locked up and the ammo isn't kept separate, um, you don't get a second chance. So let's talk about the gun storage and secure gun storage. Yeah, because this goes to every member of your family or anyone who knows that you keep a gun in your home. If your guns are not securely stored, then you are putting children at risk, teenagers at risk. The kids know where the guns are and they can find them in this desperate moment. So gun owners can make their homes and communities safer by storing their guns securely. And that means storing them locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. Uh, this does protect children and adults. And we've seen this with Ethan's Law, uh, which we've spoken on the show about uh, many times it's finally passed the house and we're waiting for it to get through the senate that you would have to as a gun owner lock up a weapon if there was a minor in the house but also the unintentional shootings and gun suicides having it locked up at all times because what i'm just going to keep saying that one hour 70 percent of of people who survived a suicide attempt said they had only been thinking about it an hour so if it's on your desk if it's in a shoebox under the bed all of that is just it's not enough it's not enough time yeah. So let's talk a little bit about gun violence and mental health, because suggesting that mental health is a driving factor of our country's gun violence crisis is inaccurate. Research has shown that most people with mental illness are not violent. They are more likely to be victims than perpetrators of violence. We need to do better to help and support those living with a mental health condition. But our weak gun laws enable easy access to guns 
by people with a demonstrated history of dangerous behavior, and we need a tool to temporarily remove access to firearms from those in a time of crisis. That's what extreme risk protection orders, laws do. They empower family members or law enforcement who recognize warning signs of future violence, which often have nothing to do with mental illness to take action before it's too late. And also the new uh, national crisis line is 988 on any phone. 988 in US is the national crisis line. It can be used anytime, anywhere. If it's for yourself or a loved one who's in emotional distress, are having suicidal thoughts. You can also visit 988lifeline.org slash chat to chat with a counselor. So Ty, you and I both have lived experience with uh, someone close to us, sir, and, and that makes us survivors of suicide. But what are some of the warning signs of suicide? Well, talking about wanting to die, um, it's almost like testing the water. Somebody could put it out there just as a feeler. But when someone talks about wanting to die, that's that's still an, a warning sign. And it should then prepare you to say, are you actually thinking about suicide? Do you have suicidal thoughts? It, it shouldn't be blown off as a joke. Um, looking for a way to kill oneself. Uh, talking about feeling hopeless or having no purpose talking about feeling trapped or being in unbearable pain. And I know this is a lot of the veterans suicides have always been linked to some sort of chronic pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talking about being a burden to others. Uh, that's, you know, with someone's self-worth, uh, increasing use of alcohol and drugs, also acting anxious, agitated, or recklessly. I remember that as a key one If someone just kind of, let's just see what happens if I, you know, let go of of all control uh sleeping too little or too much it's not good for your mental health uh, or your your mind needs to sleep withdrawing or feeling isolated showing rage or talking about seeking revenge and just any displaying extreme mood swings once again what you can do is call 988 and don't leave the person alone Take them to an emergency room. If you can't get help or counseling while you're there with the person, take them to the emergency room because that is the safest place for them where they can get some psychiatric care and, and save their life. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM Free Speech Radio. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. You can hear us on WBAI on Tuesdays at 2.30 p.m. or on your favorite podcast platform. And today we are talking about guns and suicide. Ty, both of us have uh, have heard uh, Ashley Judd talk about her mother's suicide. What a courageous woman. Absolutely. And it's and it's so sincere coming from a place, you know, she found her mother um, in, in her house. They had just been talking. Uh, so that, she says, haunts her. Uh, she said the worst part of it is the bargaining. You know, whenever you have grief or you have loss, you just keep bargaining with what could I have done or what could someone else have done uh, when it's too late. And that will cause 
your own mental um, anguish. Um, haunting is probably the best word for that of what suicide's done to me and gun suicide. Uh, several that uh, people I've lost because of that. You, no matter what, I've just thought, oh, you know what? I was two weeks from visiting there. Or anyway. Yeah, it's part of the whole process. And I wanted to say a word about bargaining too, because you think that by intellectually knowing these uh, stages of grieving and processing that, you know, you can get through them. Uh, but, you know, years later, you'll have a dream where you can't get a hold of the person on a phone or um, you, I, I have a recurring dream about my brother who took his own life in, um, when did he do that, 1991, that um, he's in a room with some other people, but he refuses to talk to me on the phone. And, you know, I mean, this is like constantly, that animal part of you that is deep inside of you does not stop loving and caring about this person and imagining that you still have a relationship with them. And that's the part of you that keeps going back to this bargaining. You know, I could stop them. I could have done something different. Why didn't I notice these type of things? Right. Um, but they have moved on in a way that I thought was very healthy, saying that they admitted to each other that they, as in the whole family, her sister and their stepfather would uh, respect each other's way of grieving. Um, you, you're not supposed to uh, put force on this to anyone else. And it's not helpful to you to think, oh, well, you know what? Someone else is doing better and I'm not. I mean, all of that is just more weight that you're putting on yourself. So for her to come out and discuss this as what it is, um, it's almost you know, fairly close, but now even... Um, more recently, she had another interview, and that's the one that you just listened to. Yeah. Yeah, very wise and knowledgeable. Um, I invite you to seek out um, Ashley Judd talking recently about these crises in the media because she just does it so respectfully. And I think another thing that we want to talk about, make sure that we understand, is, again, the person is not defined by the way that they die, but by how they live, what struggles they overcame. You know, that's, that's the thing. And if we can get past that barrier, you know, we can acknowledge so much more about suicide and about mental health that this is a shared problem, that this is a public health crisis, that there are interventions uh, Ashley Judd also brings up the difference between, you know, coming out and saying, yes, my mother had um, mental illness, had uh, years of, of trouble on uh, dealing with it, but they had to separate who their mother was from what the disease of her mental illness was. And that's very, very difficult for people to do, um, to, to love her mother for who she was, and then still have a separate relationship almost with what the disease does. Uh, to a person, she says, you know, the disease is a lot, you know, mental illness is lying to you. It's telling you, you know, you're not worth anything. It's telling you, you can't do things. It's keeping you um, from moving forward. In a lot of cases, I'm specifically talking about what uh, she shared with us, but that is really important to think about the dismissal of someone who could be suicidal. And that's the key thing I used to, I used to tell people when I had to do training in the air force was you cannot ever say the words, you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? 
um, just thinking that that's enough to get through the conversation. And because most people are like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they won't engage with you. You really have to open up with someone and say, listen, suicide is a major, major problem in our country. And if somebody has a, access to a gun, then you definitely should get involved in talking about this all the time. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be a somber conversation. It's like, these are numbers. This is on the increase, on the rise. And we have a responsibility to keep our loved ones around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you thinking of harming yourself? Do you have a plan? Um, let's get access to help. Let's call. You know, let's go to the emergency room. I'll go with you. These are the kind of things. And you know, I'm here with you now. I'm with you. Just that, just that telling someone that there is another way out. Um, and a lot of survivors of suicide and a lot of people with mental illness who have moved on um, give you hope. And so I'm, I'm very, very happy that we do have this particular high profile suicide, as sad as it is for this family, but as genuine and sincere and, and how educated uh, they are on this crisis that affects everyone in this country. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is about the grieving. I, what I took away is really the point that grieving is internal work, that it happens inside of you and your grieving is personal and it is work that you have to do. When you have grappled with this and when you have worked out your grieving, then you are able to forgive and to, that's the point at which you can see this person apart from the harm that you may have experienced um, from them 20 years ago when you were a child or, or in some other aspect of your relationship. But you can, the good news is that you can work on it yourself and that you can get better. And that is what you do have control over. Right. And there's a generational change of getting therapy. I mean, there were just years and years of it being, uh, certainly it was, you know, with certain men, uh, or in the military, it was definitely considered uh, a sign of weakness to ask for help. And th the fact is it's overwhelming what all of us had gone through the last few years, uh, what people are still going through now. And as responsible, um, citizens, it isn't necessarily ever your fault about somebody's, you know, mental illness or their, their, their feeling alone or loneliness. It's more of us as a society is not addressing it right away. Instead of coming together at the end of, you know, a tragedy like this, it, it needs to be discussed most certainly when you purchase a gun somewhere on there, somewhere in that process, someone in your family, they need to discuss how you are 90% more likely to have a successful suicide attempt with a firearm than any other way combined. Um, so it's not a tool. It's not impulse purchase. You know, it is something that has to be treated as as dangerous as it is and as destructive as it can be to a family and a community. Yeah. And particularly right now, teens are super, super vulnerable. Children are very, very vulnerable. 
And then suicide is also on the rise in other demographic groups. Uh, I believe especially middle-aged men are leading and middle-aged women are, are catching right up there too. There has been an increase in women, correct? Yeah. So, you know, don't dismiss the fact that, you know, a person's demographic or their age, you know, oh, they'll get over it and they'll move on. Or, or to think that about a child is a big mistake. Um, no, you know, you, you can be concerned, you can be caring, and you can stick around and, and, um, and really help. Well, it's time to end our show. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. Also, join us for our meeting. Our next meeting is Thursday. Thursday, September 29th. 29th. Come ahead and join us at the LBGTQ Center. Uh, Where is it, Ty? On 13th Street? Yeah, and it's going to be at... uh, 7. It'll be at 7 o'clock. And don't forget that another great way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy. Listen, this platform has given Gays Against Guns a great mouthpiece. And what is it? It's WBAI. And how do we get WBAI? And how do we keep WBAI on the air? You'll notice that all of the listener-sponsored radio stations right now are doing fun drives, and it's really incredibly important that we support this station by becoming a BAI buddy. Uh, this is a small monthly contribution, and it keeps us on the air. It's a, a sustaining membership. Being able to depend on this small amount really helps WBAI with their budgeting, and it keeps us on the air to bring you this gun violence prevention news show every week. So go, go to WBAI.org right now. Why not? Give to WBAI.org or call 212 212- 209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thanks for listening and we are back with a new episode every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. If you miss us on WBAI, check our podcast. We're here for you. Have a great and safe day. <laughs>